Father, we thank you. Yes, Lord, standing on the promises, we cannot fall when Christ is all in all. Father, this evening I pray, Father, that Lord, you would take your words and make it real to our lives. The promise that you have given to us, O oh Lord, in the beginning of the year, I pray, Father, that you would reinforce those that promise into the deepest parts of our heart and, Father, make it real. Father, that we will look unto you, the author and finisher of our faith. For in you, O Lord, every promise is yes and amen. And therefore, I pray, Lord Jesus, Lord, that you take these words, make it alive. Whatever is of of man, let it fall to the ground. And whatever is of you, which is a part, which is in your heart, let it let it become a burden in each one of our hearts, and let it bear fruit in our lives. To that end, I pray that you would anoint the speaking and the hearing of this word, and grant us, O oh Lord, uh, concentration and steadfastness, even as we hear your voice. In Jesus' name, Amen. Um, I've uh, titled today's message as um, One Minute. Um, yeah. Aim high for God. Aim high. For God, it's interesting when um, uh, I was returning, uh, just had a small vacation. I was returning, returning, and we were at our relatives' house for lunch, and I just browsed their library as usual, and I found this book by Chuck Swindle, and and whenever I find something interesting, it goes into my bag by default. So, <laughs> so the title of that of that book was um, "Living Above Mediocrity." I mean, and I came back to church on Sunday and then, um, uh, pastor was preaching and he didn't reveal the promise to us in the morning, right? I mean, he was talking about focus and I was like, oh, I'm not a prophet. I'm just thinking, I'm focus. Maybe Philippians chapter three is a promise for the, for the year. And it was almost close. I was not very far. So <laughs> I didn't get that says the Lord in my prayer, but I did get the gist of aiming high. Like that's what Paul says in Philippians chapter three. What does he say? Forgetting this one thing I do. What do I do? This one thing I do, forgetting that is behind the successes and the failures, failures and the successes of 2017 and pressing on forward and looking, and I press on to the high calling. It's a high calling in Christ Jesus. I press on towards that. That's what Paul says. And um, if you, I was just going through the book and uh, just found a very interesting quotation by which Chuck Swindle quotes in him, so in his book, so I'm not plagiarizing, so he plagiarized, so I just quoted regardless. So let's see what he says. Uh, this is just like a first page. He says, the greatest waste of our natural resources is the number of people who never achieve their potential. You know, you, I, this is a very profound statement. See, I mean, Gurjada Parao is a famous Telugu poet, and he made a fantastic statement. He said, Desamante Mattikadoi, Desamante Manushuloi. He didn't say, he said, nation is not the land that you live on, it's the people that constitute, and the natural resources of the nation is not necessarily the gold and the silver, it's the people. It's remarkable. And therefore he says, the greatest waste of our natural resources is the number of people who never achieve their potential. Get out of that slow lane. 
shift into that fast lane of, I mean, just, this is quoting, okay? If you think you can't, you won't. If you think you can, there's a good chance you will. Statistically, okay? <laughs> My dad used to make this very interesting quotation when he used to study statistics and math. He said, Vijay, statistics are lies, but, but that's okay. But this is, it's, it's, chances are you will do it. Even making the effort will make you feel like a new person. Ahaha, take that. Making the effort will make you feel like a new person. And he ends the quote. He says, aim low, boring. Aim high, soaring. I mean, I, I looked at that and I said, and, he, and Chuck Swindle actually com- comments on this. And he says, you know what? Many people are bored in their walk with the Lord because the standards are very low. And the call of God in, in the Bible for Moses was, come up and be there. Come up and be there. For John, in the, uh, the Apostle John in the island of Patmos, he says, John, come up. Come up. It's a walk toward a higher calling. That is the reason why Paul will say, we're all, that's Pastor was making that statement. He said, we are all caught in the temporal. We are, we are prisoners of time. And that's a very interesting song that we sang. We are God alone before, from before time began. We are supposed to be timeless people. We are all prisoners of time. We are just caught in the now and we forget about the eternal where God is. And that's the reason why he says in Colossians, set your hearts and your minds on things about where you have been seated with Christ Jesus in Colossians chapter 3. Aim high. Aim low. Boring. Aim high. Soaring. How many of you thought your Christian walk was very boring last year? Chances are, your expectations were very low. See, when your expectations are high, every day is exciting. <laughs> okay, and you expect, I mean, expectations are low, aims are low, it's boring because nothing is required of you. You just meet the status quo, you're just one of those rank and file Christians who necessarily amount to almost zero. Look at what uh, Matthew chapter 5 verse 19 will say in Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, by the way, there was a, a Rishi and I were discussing this and he found a, a book where somebody wrote the, the hundreds, hundred most famous stocks in the entire, in the, in the history of man. The hundred most famous stocks in the history of man. You know what's the rank one? Any guesses? Sermon on the Mount. And this is a secular book, by the way. That's interesting. Okay, so look at what he says. And this is in the English Standard Version. Look at what he says. He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, this is what he says. Therefore, whoever, what, read that. Relaxes. Relax. Chill out. Chillax. That's the lingo, right? John Piper hates fun. The word fun. Oh, that was a fun meeting. That was a fun doctrine. He says, Christian life is not fun, Baba. It's excitement. Fun is, you're actually lowering the standard. Okay. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them, in other words, without relaxing and meets the requirements of God will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. 
I was listening to a sermon recently by John Piper on on Jonathan Edwards. It was a commentary on Jonathan Edwards. And this is what he has to say about Jonathan Edwards. And when he's, he's, he's reading the exposition of Jonathan Edwards and he's going crazy and he's looking at this audience. And he says, you know what? This is what he says. No preacher or teacher, including Jonathan Edwards, lives up to the level that he preaches and teaches. If he does, then he's not preaching high enough. <laughs> you can take that with a pinch of salt, but you get the principle here. I, I mean, I used to really um, struggle with this, this, th- this thought when pastor used to say, you know, even if I'm not practicing it, I still, I still want to preach it. Because I want to preach it for myself. I say, how can you have the conviction when you're preaching it at that level and, 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 and not really, really meeting up to it? No, that was way back in Abed's used to say that. But then, of course, it got confirmed recently when John Piper, in the mouth of two witnesses, everything gets established. Okay. John and James have to say the same thing. <laughs> I'll tell you why I said this. So somebody who was actually preaching from a psalm and, um, he was preaching from the MacArthur Study Bible. Uh, and then he said, he made a very interesting statement. He said, whenever you're preaching from the Psalms, it's important that you have to read the MacArthur Study Bible. And most of the preaching that I'm doing is from the MacArthur Study Bible. And then, so, <laughs> he also says, everybody, anybody who's preaching from the Psalms has to refer to Spurgeon. Okay? You know that, right? The, the something of David. The treasure of David, the treasury of David. And then he said, he makes a very interesting statement. He says, when I read Spurgeon's comments on one of the Psalms, he says, it's, it's interesting that both I and Spurgeon draw from MacArthur. You see, you see, I mean, it's very interesting, you know, everybody, anywhere, they are confirming and they're talking, because they're, you know, timeless. I don't know, I don't know how many, how many of you got that, but that's okay. So no preacher or teacher lives up to the level that he or, he or she preaches. If he does, then he's not preaching high enough. Oh boy, that is the reason why, you know, when um, Piper was writing this uh, eulogy for R.C. Sproul, who was passed away recently, he said Sproul used to exalt the holiness of God so much that the only option that you would have at the end of the meeting is to fall flat on your face and say, Lord, save a wretched like me. What happened in the contemporary church, not necessarily this church, is the fact that the standards have been lowered. And that it's become, you, and, and what you have to do now is to get all kinds of external things to keep the people excited because they're not excited with the walk with the Lord. Why? Because their standards are low. Okay? And this is, this malady was a malady which was found in, um, people who came out of Israel, from, who came out of the land of Egypt. Okay, this is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at what he says. More, moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink. Everybody for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And then you look at what he says. But the irony, 
But with most of them, I mean, how many, what is this most? Except three. <laughs> That's most. You know, we people, people have this strange question. How many people will be saved? 144,000 people. Is it a, uh, is it a figurative number or a, or a exact number? You know what? God, Jesus will have to answer to you. He says, please stop, stop asking that question. Strive to enter to the narrow gate. For many will seek and will not be able. But with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were what? Scattered in the wilderness. Other translations will say were overthrown in the wilderness. And it's a very interesting Greek word which is only used once in the entire New Testament. Scattered. Catastronomy. From which we get the word catastrophe. Remember an earthquake or a, or a, or a hurricane or a cyclone which comes in. Slams a place. What happens? Everything is scattered. Everything shattered. Everything is laid low. That's exactly what he's saying. They all met with a catastrophe. And that catastrophe was sent from God and not from Satan. Because they were not, because God was not well pleased with many of them. Except for two. Joshua and Caleb. Why? Because they said, you know what guys? Aim high. Hmm. Let not, let our lives not be a catastrophe. Okay? Because we don't please God. Many, many lives scattered. They don't amount to anything. Why? Because they lowered the standards. They always wanted to lower the standards. They were bored with manna. What is this manna? Every day, manna, 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 manna. But there was one man who was eating the same food, just drinking the same spiritual milk and milk, uh, spiritual water and a spiritual food. And he was never, never, ever bored. Moses. Okay. Look at what it says in Jude. Jude chapter 1 verse 5. But I want you to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of Egypt, afterward destroyed, the, the very interesting word, Apollonami, Apoll, from which we get the word Apollyon, who is a destroyer. He allowed the destroyer to come and destroy their lives and scatter them in the wilderness. Who the, who's that? Who's that? The Lord. Look at what it says in the English Standard Version. Now I want you to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that who? The Lord is? The Jesus who brought them out of the wilderness. Who saved the people out of the land of Egypt. Hmm. Destroyed them. Because they did not believe. Why? Because they always wanted to, wanted God to come down to their level when God was saying, come up to my level. You cannot bring me down. Bring me down. Lowering of standards in our life. And it's happening over and over again in, in our country. I mean, I was talking to Pastor the other day, and Pastor was talking to us rather. He was saying, I don't know if India can survive persecution. Because we are all compromisers at heart. You know, remember that uh, famous uh, story about Lal, uh, about the Golconda Ford being impregnable, unprintable? Oh, you have to do this, you have to do that. You know, one guy said, okay, I know it's unprintable. There's one way you can easily penetrate. Bribe the sentry. That fellow will compromise. And, and, and you know, pastor was saying that our culture is a culture of compromise. 
So, so it's a warning to all of us. Never to lower the standard. And never ask the Lord and say, Lord, just can you give me a break today, please? Let it be a smooth message. I'm not saying that we should not have encouragement from time to time, but let us never lower the standard. Albeit, regardless of our of our weaknesses. So, keeping that in mind, I want to position today's uh, promise for 2018. What is the promise for 2018? This is Psalm 27 verse 4. One thing I have desired, that will I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord <laughs> all the days of my life. Where? Oh, that's a desire. Oh, you think it's... You know, when we, when we look at these promises, we have emotional and very... We have emotional responses to promise sometimes. Oh, that's a promise. I'll come and dwell in the house of the Lord. I'll worship in the Holy... Oh, hold on, hold on. It's not low. It's high. That desire is not an easy desire. He says, one thing I have desired therefore, from whom? Of the Lord, not from myself. I cannot do it in my own strength, in other words. Of the Lord, and that will I seek. To have that kind of a desire, in other words. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord, really? <laughs> and you got to survive? It says in Isaiah chapter 33, if I'm right, it says, the sinners in Zion were scared. Why? Who can dwell in the midst of everlasting burnings? Oh, in the house of the Lord where preaching is absolutely on fire? Do you think it's easy? Oh no. Let's see that. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire or meditate, that's the word, in his temple. Well, that's a promise that God said he would give. See, let me tell you something. God is sovereign. Man is responsible. Say that again. God is sovereign. Man is responsible. God says, there are, I have chosen this guy to be a vessel of honor and this guy to be a vessel of dishonor. Pharaoh and Abraham. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will harden whomever, whomever I have hardened. Whomever I have wish to harden. That is the sovereignty of God. And then um, you will suddenly look at that and you will say, he is not God unjust. And, and, and Paul will say, shut your mouth. Okay, He is not going to even give you an argument for that. Please, Who are you to question God? That is Romans chapter 9. There is a sovereignty of God. There is also a responsibility of man. In a large house, there are many vessels. Some for honor, some for dishonor. Whose house? God's house. If you cleanse yourself, you will be made into a vessel of honor. That is human responsibility. And that, that duality is so mysterious. Work out your salvation for, with fear and trembling. For God is at work. To both will and to obey. To do his good pleasure through you. But you work out. Purge out the old leaven. That you may be made a new lump. As you really are new. 
So I'm supposed to purge out. So Christian life is active. That is the reason why you feel it's never boring. And if you know what the requirements of God are. So the question therefore is, if I want to desire to live in the house of God, you know, God has to invite me, right? I just cannot go in, in, in. I mean, we have a lot of New Testament, emo, uh, what do you call sentimental pictures, like I stand at the door and knock, etc. But there is something else also. You know, I accepted the Lord. Yes, that is true. You accepted the Lord because he accepted you. See, he has invited you into his house. And therefore, if you want to be in his house and to dwell in his house, there are certain requirements. Let us see those requirements. Okay. Uh, One of my favorite Psalms, uh, which I often read and get depressed. Okay. And I often read and get depressed. Uh, It's good to get depressed, by the way. Because that is, that is, that is, you know that you, you are not reaching up to the standards and therefore, uh, get depressed is good. Depression is not necessarily wrong, uh, bad or negative all the time. Like I heard Sunday's message on, I mean, 31st night message, Sunday morning message. I told pastor, pastor, it's going to take a year for me to digest that. And it was like a freight train coming and just <laughs> steamrolling us. You see? I mean, I don't know. Sometimes people are so happy, happy, happy. Why? Maybe because your your requirements are absolutely low. Look at what it says in one of my favorite Psalms. Five verses, depressing verses, okay? And if you're never depressed reading the Psalm, I hope by the end of reading this, you'll get depressed. Look at this. Verse 1. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill, which is Zion? Oh boy. The answer is rhetorical, by the way. It's a rhetorical question. So, change the question into a statement. Answer is, no one. Absolutely. And you say, no, 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 no. That is not right. Oh yeah? Let's see the requirements, therefore. Verse 2. He who walks uprightly. The word is perfect. And works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. Yeah. 24 by 7. Okay, it's one level of depression, okay? Level 2. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up reproach against his friend. Oh boy. Depressing. Verse 4. In whose eyes a wild person is despised. It comes against all our understanding of modern day Christian Christianity. You love the sinner, hate the sin. Look at what he says. There is some kind of a genuine hatred of a sinner, in other words. In those in whose eyes a wild person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Really? One of the Indictments in my home is not you don't keep your word. Papa, you said the other day you will give me some reward. And you forgot. And then I had to think and like, oh Lord, I forgot. Yes, ah, the vacation was your reward by the way. 
Lord, forget. I'll tell you why this is important, okay? We'll come to that. Verse 5. He who does not put his money to usury, nor not, not does take a bribe against the innocent. Okay, so he takes a bribe against the not innocent, I don't know. <laughs> and then he says, he who practices these things shall never be moved. How many of you meet these requirements, please? Oh, I got a promise. And this automatic, the promise? Oh yes, every promise is just an amen in Christ Jesus. Ah. Let's look at verse 1 first. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? You know, the law of God is ruthless. It's absolutely ruthless. Very ruthless. I mean, I was discussing with some of you the other day. A um, few weeks back, um, Sister Auntie Catherine, you, if you know, she met with an, with an accident. I mean, she fell in her home and she had a surgery. So Pastor and I, we went uh, to visit her on the, in the hospital to pray with her. So we were discussing and she was in a special special hospital, okay? This orthopedic hospital, Uday Hospital in, uh, in Hyderabad. And uh, she was telling Pastor and I, she said, Pastor, you know what? 90% of the cases here are freak accidents. 90%. People slip and fall. That's exactly what happened to her. I mean, she was, uh, the grandchildren came home and she walks very fast. I mean, she's extremely active for her age. She walks very fast in the home and those guys spilled water somewhere on a slippery floor and she slipped and she fell pong on her hip. No mistake of hers, by the way. And she was admitted in the hospital. And she said, 90% of the cases in this hospital are this. And I, I, I was thinking about this and I, 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 came, I was thinking about this for a while. I mean, a few, few, few days and I was saying, how ruthless the law of gravity is. I mean, come on. I mean, she could not even argue with gravity. Gravity, give me a break. It's not my mistake. Somebody put water. I did not see. I slipped. I fell. You can't argue with gravity, can you? Please, please, just, just give me a break. No, that's what children learn over, over a period of time. You can't argue with gravity. You know, for the first steps that they take, they're afraid of falling. Like when, uh, when Abigail was taking a first step. One, two, three. Take her. Take her. I mean, take her, that is, okay. Take her. I mean, she's scared. Because she knows that she cannot negotiate with it. Somehow, intuitively. <laughs> it's built into a system. You cannot argue with the law of gravity even if you if you break it without intention. I mean, no, nobody breaks the law, right? Today I'm going to break gravity. And nobody does that intentionally. And, you, and you're so ruthless. The law is so ruthless. And I was thinking about that. I say, if the law of gravity is so ruthless, what about the law of God? What about the law of God? I cannot argue with the law. I mean, just it's a white lie. I did not even plan in the morning. I didn't get up in the morning and said, let, let me lie in the morning today. I didn't say that. I didn't say, let me make an un- a promise which I'm going to break. I didn't say, okay, let me make a promise which I'll break. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Law 
I mean, the reason why we do not appreciate our salvation is we, we do not know and we have not apprehended how ruthless the law is. Moses brought the law. 3,000 people died. Oh, saints, 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 never lower the standards of God. Even if it is a small breaking of the moral law of God unintentionally, you know, that's what happens in the book of Leviticus. He says, if you build a home and you don't put a paraffin wall and one guy comes to your home and he stands there and he falls. You're guilty. You'll say, Baba, I didn't even ask him to go upstairs. My landlord is very careful. He said, no going on the stairs, no passing this line. And one day when I passed, he said, this is unacceptable. Thank God for landlords like that. They discipline us. You cannot argue, can you? You can't. You have to pay the price. And what is the wages of sin? Death. Even if it's unintentional, you know what, what that fellow has to do? He has to come and give a guilt offering for unintentional sin. Sins of ignorance. That means somebody innocent has to die in your place. What you're essentially telling, you're saying that the punishment which was due you is passed on to this innocent animal. Oh, saints. The law, the law is ruthless. So therefore, who can abide in the holy hill of God? Amsa? Nobody. Look at about Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. This is what Jesus has to say. He's going to make us even more depressed, by the way. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to, come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not even an iota, not a dot, I mean, if you want to break even the smallest of the commandments unintentionally, you have to pay the price. (sighs) So what does God do? He loves us so much, right? He says, you know what? I know you guys, you, I mean, that's the reason why when, when, when Martin Luther was reading about the righteousness of God and he was looking at the righteous requirements of God, somebody asked Martin Luther, do you love God? He said, love God? I hate him. You know, look, look at this righteous requirements. What, what is this? Nobody. I'm, 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 I'm actually a good guy. I'm a monk. And if he, he can't stand a chance, how much more you and I? Until something breaks through. Somehow, somebody has to fulfill the right requirements and the just and the righteous requirement of the law for whom? For us. And who does that? Look at what it says in Romans chapter 8 verses 3 and 4. For God has done (laughs) what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. How did he do it? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and He condemned our sin in his flesh. In order, you see that? In order that the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So God sends his son. He kills him on the cross. That is the reason why he says, behold the lamb of God who takes away the 
sin of the world, the Passover lamb. You remember when Jesus was 12 years old, they go to the festival every year and, and then he gets lost in during which, which festival? He gets lost in which festival during which festival? The Passover. That was the lamb's blood which was slain and the doorpost was, uh, the blood was applied to the doorposts so that the angel of death can pass over. And then he is asking the scribes, hmm, Passover lamb, okay, who is this talking about? <laughs> who is this talking about? He is actually talking about him. And then he asks them questions and gives them answers. And they are amazed. Because the very Passover lamb who is going to take the sin of the world has come into the temple. See, that is the reason why you don't understand how justification is, saints. What an incredible gift it is. Hmm. In order that the righteous requirement. Look at another play, another passage in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 onwards. Therefore, brother, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and the living way. You see that? The word blood of Jesus, which speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. He pleads for us. By the new and the living way that he has opened for us through the curtain. That is through his, what? Flesh. He condemned our sin in his flesh so that we can approach God and now we can come boldly into the holy of holies so that we can obtain mercy and grace in the time of need. Why? Because God has paid the penalty for our sin and now we have access. Thank God for that. Thank God. Otherwise, who can? Who can? Who can? None. Except through the blood of Jesus. Okay, so look what he says. And since we have a great high priest, uh, as we look, uh, sorry, therefore, um, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, yeah, holy places, meaning he's talking about the outer courts and the holy place and the most holy place, yeah, uh, by the blood of Jesus, because every separation, there's a veil that has to be torn, by the way, you know, you, you know that, right? Between the outer courts and the holy place, there is a veil. Uh, and uh, from the holy place to the most holy place, there's a veil, and both were torn, by the way. That's the that's what he's talking about. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a high priest where? Over the? Ah, over the house of God. Now he's there as our advocate. Father, he says, you know what? Their sin is upon me. They believed in me. They trusted in me. Please let them enter. And God does not look at you. He looks at his son. And he allows you inside. Hmm. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is what God does. He washes us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from our sin, from all our unrighteousness and give us a right standing with God. That's a gift that He gives so that we can enter into the house. That's the first step. So as I said, there's a cleansing that God does and there's a cleansing that we have to do. It's not automatic, by the way. Christian life is not automatic. Okay, it's a war. Okay. I have given this land to you. That's what he says, Joshua. But go in and possess it. Fight for it. Okay. And 400,000, 600,000 men, they said, boss, was too high a standard and they were scattered in the wilderness. But three people said, you know what, even Caleb at 83, he said, you know what, Caleb, what do you want? Do you want the plains? Ah, no, 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 no. 
my aim has always been the mountain brother send me there hi so something which we need to do so let's look at verse 2 what does what what should we do therefore verse 2 onwards he who walks uprightly and walks and works righteousness and speaks the truth you look at the look at the order walk work word walk work word ours is word all the time you are full of word you have to say something i mean the you can see that in our whatsapp groups also I mean, somebody has to say always something just to send something you doesn't make sense at all sometimes he who has ears to hear let him hear <laughs> i mean so i really sometimes say baba you have so much to say and so I'll stop what did what does god say stop we'll come to that okay we'll come to stop is animated by the way very animated god is animated okay <laughs> we'll we'll come to that okay so what is this work oh, sorry walk what is it walking perfectly what does it mean how how do we achieve it walking uprightly walking with a spine on your back in other words you're whole you're healthy you're this walking in integrity that's what it means you know the the word is tamim in hebrew from which we get the word is urdu word tamam tamam cheezon mein bahut acha hai that's what it means wholeness completeness uprightness integrity they have all these are all synonyms by the way what does it mean how do we do that See, let's see scripture. Genesis chapter six, verse nine. This is the genealogy of Noah. <laughs> I like that introduction. In other words, this is the resume of Noah. Okay, that those days the family tree was very important. Okay, okay, not 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 anymore. Okay, Ethiopia is not very important because but every every now and then you have Ethiopia's invitation and the Nandamuri's invitation, whatever. But um, but those days, the genealogy, the the, the resume was important. This is the, this is Noah. Noah was a just man. The same word, perfect. Tamim, perfect in his generations. How was he perfect in his generations? Because he walked with God. That's the key. And we know this very famous verse. Okay, oh, Amos chapter three, verse three, three, three. Okay, can two walk together unless they agreed? So how do we? cleanse ourselves and how do we aim high in 2018 stop arguing start agreeing okay <laughs> i mean somebody sent a whatsapp the other day about uh, uh, about so derek prince's sermon okay i mean that was a sermon which was uh, part of a sermon he was going to shake everything you know there's a two part sermon i'm going to shake everything that is that's, that that will be shaken is about 2 and 2 hours 45 minutes i heard the entire sermon and then he says we should we should stop counseling christian counseling stop writing your books on christian counseling take the bible and if couple comes to you this all keeps on coming your problems and problems and problems you tell baba i am not going to counsel you anymore love your wife and you don't love your wife submit to your husband you don't submit to your husband first to learn to do this and come back again but what will they do they will argue 
degree that you sinned, when you mess up, don't justify. Don't argue. You know, there's one famous arguer in the Bible. His name is Saul. Look at how he argues. But before we go there, there's a very interesting verse in Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 13. Look at what he says. Only acknowledge that your guilt, that you rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree, that you have not obeyed the voice, obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. You acknowledge that you did not obey. And then you acknowledge that you did not obey, I'm going to help you. But you do not, that you will not. Look at what it says in First uh, Samuel chapter 15. Look at this guy, arguer. Pay attention here please, don't get distracted. And Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Did you obey? Yeah, I have obeyed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleating of the sheep and in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? And the argument starts. Look at the argument. Saul said, they, you know, the famous in, uh, in, uh, analogy that pastor was talking about, Adam, this woman you gave, no? They have brought them from the Amalekites for the people, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God and the rest we have devoted to destruction. They, we, He's including himself there. Okay? Because whatever is obedient, he's including. Whatever disobedient, he's not including. That's the idea. And he's arguing his case, going on and on and on. And then you know what happens? You know what God, God says? Stop! I didn't say that. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop! <laughs> Baba, stop arguing. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. I tell you sometimes, you know what? We need to... Our... our um, Devotions are monologues. You know what a monologue is, right? You're going on and on and on and on and on. God says, stop. This year, stop. And stop, I will tell you, the Lord said to me this night. And he said, I I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said, speak. And Samuel said, though you were little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And what is the argument again? Saul said, I have obeyed. See that? Arguing. And then and he said, he, and look at what he says. And he says, but the people took the spoil, sheep, oxen, and the best things, etc. And then, of course, you know the story. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow to the Lord. Never acknowledged that he disobeyed. Never. Never. Think about it, no? How many times in 2017 when we know that we have disobeyed, we argue with God? Argue, 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 argue. I didn't do this. I didn't, I didn't do it. I did it. I didn't do this. And you know that you actually transgressed. Arguing, arguing, arguing and arguing. Stop arguing this year and agree with God this year. Let your arguments become less and less. Let your obedience become more and more. 
Agree with him. When you say, Lord, I disobeyed, disobey. Say, Lord, I disobeyed your voice. Acknowledge it. He says, just acknowledge your guilt. I'm not here to condemn you. Don't argue with me. It's very interesting, no? I mean, how how children learn this. How interestingly they will learn to argue their disobedience. I remember my two children. Okay, I can use their example when they're young. Or after they grow big, they'll be upset with me. Okay. They have a bath tub. I told you sometime back, right? Bath tub. And I tell them not to step into the bath tub and make it dirty. Okay, one day, both of them were in the bath tub with their feet and got it completely dirty. And I came into the bathroom and I said, Abigail, I said, don't get into the tub with your feet. Abigail's argument. Okay, that was not my idea. You know, she said, it'd be a great idea if we put our feet into the bathtub. And therefore, both of us put the feet into the bathtub. And I'm looking at her. You know, sometimes, you know, we are we are so good at arguing our case. We actually insult God's intelligence. I was looking at her and I, do you know that I'm a PhD in robotics, by the way? And you're absolutely, totally convinced that I'm convinced with that argument. Unbelievable. I remember that, if you've seen the movie Godfather, okay, the last scene, one of the scenes when he's getting rid of all his enemies, he comes to him and he says, the guy is getting killed, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. He says, I like you as a brother, but don't say that you didn't do it. You're insulting my intelligence. And most of us insult God's intelligence by saying, Lord, I did not do it. I did not do it. We give arguments so that we can buy our case out. No, there are only two people who can argue that case before God. Either it is you or Jesus. That's it. Get that straight this year. Don't argue. I tell all the young people. All the young people, I say, Baba, your arguments, you want, you're telling reasons as to why you disobeyed that. Come on, I can see a lot of arguments over there. Stop arguing, okay? Stop arguing. Stop arguing. I mean, it's just not little children. It's even little older people too. Why? They can't do it. Mm-hmm. See, don't argue a case. Let God argue your case and he will only argue your case when you say, Lord, I disobeyed. That is the reason why the Pharisees and the tax collectors, you know what they say, they justified God by getting baptized in the waters of baptism, but the Pharisees and the tax collectors rejected the counsel of God and they did not justify God. And they were rejected the counsel of God and therefore the baptism. Because, you know, when you have to get baptized, you have to publicly confess your sins and those people were, oh, no way. No way. They will argue. Stop arguing this year. Start agreeing. So when you, whenever you sin, acknowledge that you disobeyed. Do that. Every day of your life. Don't argue with God. Don't insult His intelligence. Don't. He sees everything. He sees everything. And you're saying, that's the reason why you say, but John will say, if you say that you have not sinned, you make whom a liar? 
No. You make him a liar. And his truth is not in you. Okay. Second this. Trust in the Lord. Wait for him. Look at what it says in Genesis chapter 17. This is again in the context of walking. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, walk before me and be perfect. Why? After he messed up. He created an Ishmael. 13 years of silence. God refuses to speak to him. And he is out in the afternoon out of his tent. God visits him and he says, walk before me. Don't, don't trust in your own intelligence. In other words, look at what it says in Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And let me tell you this year, don't make any hasty decision without consulting with God. Ask this question to yourself when you are making a career shift. I'm telling you, some of you are on the brink of making a lot of major decisions. I know because I hear your, your, your conversations and your, and your thoughts. I mean, not your, your thoughts which you, which you express. Be very careful when you make decisions of moving here and there. Ask yourself this question. Will I stand firm if I go out of this place? Is this what the Lord is asking of me? You see, a lot of people, they just make, and this year will be a shift for many of you because of the decisions you're going to make. Either you're going to make a decision of to leave or to stay, whatever it is, when you're not ready. Okay. To marry or not to marry when you're not ready. And the, it's these decisions. Trust in the Lord. Take godly counsel. You know, whenever you want to, you know how subtly you avoid counsel? You know it. You know, if you take this and ask your pastor, he will say, no, wait. Therefore, you do it first. And then you mess up and say, pastor, I messed up. Who asked you to do it? Many of you, I know. I mean, I don't want to name specific names, but I know. Making career decisions. Career choices. Hold on. Hold on. What comes first? You, if you choose to gain your life, you will lose it. Period. And in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Take godly counsel. You know, at least there should be one person in your life who will disagree with you. You make a decision. And if there is at least one guy, somebody, I think one of the presidents, US presidents, he would never make a decision, especially when he is going to war, unless he finds one guy who opposes his view. Because there are a lot of yes men in the, 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 oh, you're very good brother. You can do it. Go ahead. Go ahead. I remember once I was coming back from Chennai in the train, there was this pastor, prosperity pastor. And he looked at me and he put his hands upon me. This year, the Lord tells me that you'll go to US. I didn't go, by the way. You see? Come on. A lot of people will give you counsel like that. Hold on. Who will side with your idol. One of the guys, I mean, I was reading recently, Tim Keller, in one of his books, he says, think about this guy who's who's working hard and hard and hard to make a living. I mean, he wants to get a breakthrough in his job. He's not getting a breakthrough. Okay, He's working hard in the process. He's, He's sacrificing his time with the Lord. He's sacrificing his time with his family. He's sacrificing everything. And he asks this question, what is the worst thing that can happen to him? Is it success or failure? You know what he says? You 
Many people will say failure because it, if he doesn't succeed, he will destroy. No, 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 no. If he does not succeed, he will ask the question, what is going on here? But if he succeeds, it will only confirm him in his trajectory of disobedience. So, ask God this year. If people in the church have given you counsel and you are still adamantly following the trajectory, be warned. Be warned. Be warned. Okay. Don't go out. Think about it. Think about it. You know, this guy, Elisha, was called into the ministry when he was about 35 to 40 years old. I was listening to Tim Keller, now the God, the God whom, whom the person whom God chooses. Elisha was called into the ministry when he was 35 to 40 years old. And Elijah comes and puts the mantle on him. You know that? Remember? And then he slaughters all his animals and he follows Elijah. If you read the narrative, so many kings pass by during their tenure as both Elisha and Elijah. It's at least about 18 years, theologians will say. 18 years. And if you ask Elisha's parents, they all know. This guy is the next in line. Okay? Next in line to Elijah. What's your son doing? Ah. He's uh, next in line to Elijah. Oh. Interesting. So what does he do? He makes breakfast for Elijah. He washes his clothes. What? What is your son doing? Oh, well, he's the general in the army. How old is your son? 40 years old. And what is your son doing? Oh, he's a general in the army. Okay. How much does he earn? Ah, Good pay packet. Extremely doing well. But what is your son doing? Washing. Plates. Washing. Pouring water on Elijah. For how many years? 18 years. Not one prophecy. He was 40 years old if he was called into the ministry till the time he was 58. And that is the time of retirement, by the way, in our government. He doesn't even speak one word of prophecy. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine? Can you wait? Can you wait? Wait in his presence. One thing is needful, Jesus told Mary, uh, told Martha. And she has chosen the right thing. To sit at my feet and wait. Look at what it says in Psalm 27. This is the same Psalm which is from which we get the promise. Verse 14. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. Wait. Don't be in a hurry to make decisions in your life. See in every decision, if God is first, young people, take that cue from me. Otherwise you will waste, like the way I wasted my life and I read C.S. Lewis and all these people these days. I said, boy, what was I doing? Using, doing useless stuff, watching useless stuff on internet. I could have redeemed the time and read. I didn't read when I was young. Don't waste your life in senseless pursuits. Wait. Okay. So that's something which you wanted to speak about. Second, verse 2 again. He who walks uprightly works righteousness and speaks the truth where? In his heart. What does it mean? Keep yourself free from all self-deception. You know, the greatest person who can deceive you is your, you yourself. Nobody else. And how can you, how will you deceive yourself? Look at what it says in, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 1. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool first so that he may be made wise. You see, 
That's the reason why I don't think when you're young, you know it all. No, you do not know. So many things you don't know. I was reading J.R. Packer. He talks about wisdom. Look at what he says. This is how he defines wisdom. Okay, In his, one of his books, he says, For us to be truly wise in the Bible sense, our intelligence and our cleverness must be harnessed to the right end. Oh, very many, many, many intelligent people. But you're all stallions. You're not harnessed. You're wanting to do your own thing. And then he says, wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and the what goal? And the highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. Wisdom is in fact the practical side of moral goodness. As such, it is found in its fullness only in God. So human wisdom, you can be incredibly intelligent, but if this is not, if, the, if your heart is deceived, your intelligence is useless. It's foolishness. Look at what it says in the same book. Human wisdom can be frustrated by circumstantial factors outside the wise person's control. Ahithophel, David's stern court counselor, gave sound advice when he urged Absalom to finish David off at once. You know what, what Absalom, uh, Ahithophel said? I know your father is weak now. Send your army and finish him off. Finish him off. He's weak now. And that was real incredible counsel. And you know what David said? Lord, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And what happened? Before he, uh, before he recovered from the first shock of Absalom's strike, but Absalom stupidly took a different line and Ahithophel, seething with wounded pride, forcing no doubt that the revolt was now sure to fail and unable to forgive himself for being such a fool to join it, went home in despair and committed suicide. Why? Was he intelligent? Was he wise? But his heart. You see, it's, a, it's something which you need to really, it's deceived hearts. Keep yourself from self-deception this year. Look at what he said. How, how do we deceive ourselves in another place? James chapter 1 verse 21 to 22. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow wickedness. And receive with meekness the implant, implanted word which, which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Otherwise, receive. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. And what does he do? He immediately forgets what kind of a man he is. Another way people deceive themselves. If anyone among you thinks that he is religious and does not brittle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. You cannot control your tongue. You are deceiving yourself. Ask God this year. Lord! Keep on talking, 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 talking. The greatest instrument is a weapon, by the way. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 6 verse 13. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being made alive from the dead and your members, especially your tongue, as instruments of righteousness. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Okay. But only those things which will build others. Another place. Let not corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as, such as good for building up that it may give grace to those who hear. Another place. The same. Trans, another translation. Uh, this is the Berean study Bible. It says, but only what is helpful for building up the one in need and bringing grace to those who listen. When you open your mouth, will it bring grace to those who listen? It's a question. 
this gives us perfect position for the verse 3. The next verse. Look at what it says in verse 3. Psalm 15 verse 3. He who does not backbite with his tongue. You know what this word backbite is? It's a very interesting word. You know what it means? To spy. ABN Andhra Jyoti. Investigating journalism. What is it? ABN Andhra Jyoti, we report, you decide. That is the principle of many people in the church. What they do? They do investigative journalism. Espionage. What is other person doing? Always. I mujhe janna chahiye tumhara zindagi mein kya ho raha hai. Batao. I want to know. I want to know. It's interested. I've seen that, you know. I mean, I, do, I, I just hear it. I'm not pointing at it. I just listen to this. Oh, this person is like that. This is how they treat their children in the home. This is how they bring up their children. I see that. That's all, you know, giving, reporting news. Investigative journalism. We report, you decide. Think about it. This, let, this year, stop it. Just mind your own business. Backbite is spying. We have, you know, we have spies in churches. <laughs> we call them Scotland Yard. Oh my goodness. They want to know every conversation. What's going on in every other person's life except their lives. I mean, I think they just want to look at other people's lives because their lives are so miserable. They just want to come look at, hey, oh, he's falling. Ha, ha, ha. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> he's falling. He's falling. He's not very good. I thought he was very, very good. Look at that for the falling. Okay. Nice. You know, he fell the other day. That's exactly what I was telling yesterday in the, in the Romans Bible study. I said, you know, think this, this, this elder brother, the younger brother comes home and the elder brother is very upset. He's a very religious fellow. Very upset that God has, uh, this father has accepted him. And I'm, I'm just looking at the scenario. Okay. As it was Zach Poonan who told this. Clothed him with the righteousness, gave him his robe, etc, 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 fat and calf, everything. Kalyani Biryani was given the other day, that day. And, and, and then, and then he was very upset. And he was looking for opportunities. You accepted this fellow? Let me see one day. The fellow is, one day he's trying to control his smoking and so he goes there and he just smokes quietly and he comes back. The fellow fell. Father? You know, this brother, this son of yours, your son, your son, you know what he did? He smoked. You put the robe, no? Look at what he did. That's how people are. Very, 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 they want to look at how other people fall. Secretly, if those guys are absolutely on fire, they want him not to succeed. You know, as the other day, I was talking to Rishi, and Rishi said, Anna, whenever you make a decision, and, and it's something out of the box, Everybody wants you not to succeed. Everybody wants you not to succeed. Just so that they can prove you that you are not good enough. See? That is biting spying. Let's spying. Be done with spying this year. Just look at your own life. First Timothy chapter 5 verse 13. Besides that, they learn to be idlers. Going about from house to house. And not only idlers, but also gossips. Busybodies saying what they should not. Stop. Then, uh, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 12 to 13. Whoever belittles his labor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. 
whoever goes about slandering reveals secret, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. And, and, and I tell you something, this is one of the most important things in any establishment, even if it is a church, to earn the trust of the eldership. You see? And nobody will trust you if you are losing your mouth in your talk. No, but you have to earn that trust. Okay, quickly, let's go back to Psalm 15, verse uh, 4, the first part. In whose eyes a wild person is despised, despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. Choose company who will challenge you this year. Okay, who will challenge you? Hang out with people who will challenge you. Hang out. Ask them, how do you do this? That's exactly what people say in the world, right? If you want to be successful, hang out with people who are successful. Don't hang out with deceivers. In your in your college, you will say that, well, I didn't study. But he will get full marks. Why? Because he, he doesn't want you to get full marks. Because he wants to eliminate competition. No, no, no. Don't hang out with such people. Hang out with people who will really challenge you. Who are in not in competition with you. I am telling you honestly, this is some of the things that we have to learn. Look at what it says in Psalm 16 verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. You know what? These are the people with whom I hang out with. These are the people who speak into my life. You know, remember, I am telling you honestly, our men's Bible study is, is always fired up. It's, 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 it's electric. Is it not? Yeah, it is. It's iron sharpening iron. You know why? The challenge every time there's a challenge to press on and move ahead and don't hang out with people who'll just want to speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Very clear. Psalms and hymns. Learned a few hymns this year. <laughs> Psalms and hymns and spiritual. Let the work, word of Christ richly dwell in you. Let the Holy Spirit richly dwell in you. And encourage one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In other words, sharpen the other person. Let the other person sharpen you. Let them rebuke you. How many of you got a first rebuke this year? Already? Hmm? You see? You haven't got it because you were not searching for it. You see? People have challenged you already? I don't know. Ask yourself this question. How do you succeed in life? You hang out with people who challenge you. Don't avoid. You know, a lot of people avoid. Jesus, 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 Jesus. This happens even in our school. Small children. There's one guy called Phineas. Always Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I love Jesus, I love Jesus, I love Jesus. And other people hate him. They bully him. Because that fellow puts everybody else to shame. You see? I tell you something, don't hang out with people who will just pour water on your zeal and on your enthusiasm. But will harness it, who will correct you, who will love you, who will rebuke you, who will speak the truth into your heart with love. Look at this, Psalms, Proverbs chapter 27 verses 5 to 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of the enemy. But 
What does a friend do? He wounds you. I like the statement the pastor keeps telling me, you know, whenever I meet him, he says, Vijay, I, I might have hurt people, but I never harmed them. Fantastic. It hurts. Truth hurts. Let, let, faithful, another place, Psalm 141 verse 5. Let the righteous, give me a pachkad. I mean, that's exactly what, uh, what's his name, uh, Nehemiah did. You come here, you fellas. Toward a beard, give them one shot. Uh, don't do that. I mean, people in GSS are very, very, I mean, they, they, they're very Old Testament types, okay? <laughs> Let the righteous smite me in kindness and reprove me. It's oil upon my head. Wow. How many of you thought that slapping on your face was oil on your <laughs> <laughs> do not let my head refuse it. That is rebellion, you see. Do not let my head, what? Refuse it. For still my prayer is against their wicked deeds. Let it not, let people smite me, Lord. Let the righteous smite me. Let them speak to me. You have to really, I mean, you. this is high calling, saints. Don't let people, I should walk on eggshells. I should not say anything here and there. Otherwise, you hurt me. What and cutted? You see, do not let my head refuse it. Look at another place. Look at what it says. Proverbs chapter twenty thirty. This is easy. Twenty thirty. Okay, stripes that wound scar away evil, and strokes reach the innermost parts. <laughs> oh, this is fantastic! You want stroke? I mean, the strokes reach. I think kudtram gaya lagina puru. Ah, lopal kelindi it's making sense now. Ask the question, why this has happened to me when God has smacked you? Don't be angry with God. Okay, another another proverb. He who rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with the tongue. Yeah, that's exactly what I tell my parents. Thank God for my parents. They spanked the daylights out of me. They found favor in my eyes. Now, <laughs> really, honestly, I mean, Pastor was keep, keep tell, is telling about his father. Thank God for my father. He inculcated discipline into my life, and now he says, "My father has found favor in my eyes." See, choose company which will challenge you, saints, this year. Let the mark be up. Don't lower the standard for yourself. And be a mediocre Christian. Finally, he who does not put out his money at usury. Don't be a calculated giver. I mean, I hear this, okay? I hear this. I put in my hard-earned money into the offering bag. Let me tell you something. You are not supposed to say that. You know who can say that? The pastor can say that. No, not you. Because it is God who gave you the strength to earn wealth. He could have just taken his hand off your lives and you would have been in the hospital not been able to earn any, any living. Any living! And then he will say, I put my hard earned money into it and this is how they use it. Be very careful when you use all those words. Because I hear it. I hear it in our church. I'm not pointing out any names. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
calculated givers. First Corinthians chapter nine verse six. The point is this. <laughs> this is what Paul has to say. The point is this: Whoever sows sparingly, in the heart, let me add that. In the heart, you may be giving twenty thousand rupees, example, but you are saying, "I just wanted to give fifteen thousand only, ten thousand only." But this guy is twenty thousand. <laughs> You know what will happen? Only that 10,000 or 15,000 is accepted. 5,000 is gone. The church has become rich but not you. Each one must give as he has decided where? In his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And why? Why is this important? God is able to make all grace. Do you want grace to overcome sin in your life, saints? Do you want grace so that you can get a revelation when you read the scriptures? Be faithful in your giving. Oh my goodness, you see? He who is faithful with unrighteous mammon will be faithful with eternal riches too. Eternal riches is God himself. He who does these things shall never be moved. Aim high for God, saints. Aim low, boring. Aim high, soaring. Let the standards be high this year. Let yours, you know, increase your standard. Let God say, I mean, God will do it for each one of us if you're sincere. He will, he will allow situations in your life to raise standards. Please raise your standard for giving. Raise your standard for praying and and, and taking risks for God. You, you need to understand, if you want to win with God, you have to lose with the world. There are no two ways about it. You cannot just have everything best in the world and you, can also, you cannot also have the best in the kingdom. No way. He who loses his life will, will gain it. That's the principle in the kingdom. You know, this is for all those people who make choices at a career. My, my field is here. Hold on. Ask God. I was also like that. I wanted to get out of this place. But restraints. You know why? Not because God forced me. Because I said, Lord, I choose you. I choose you. Aim high. Soaring. Aim low. Boring. And then what will happen? You'll start dwelling in his house and you will understand what this promise is to dwell in, his, in God's house. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for speaking to our hearts. Pray, Lord, this year we'll aim high. Please not lower the standards for ourselves this year. Grant us grace, O oh Lord. Grant us 
the desire to aim high for you grant us the boldness and the faith that we will make choices for you that we will be like abraham we will be going not knowing where we are going but we know because we are looking up to that heavenly kingdom because our citizenship is not here oh lord that is that is where our high calling is oh lord it is it is to gain you to choose you to choose life and to choose life is to choose you oh lord and enable us lord father to aim high this year enable us to be sick and tired of our mediocre christian lives even if it was above average last year even if we were good last year i pray lord this year this i pray this year oh lord we will not be satisfied that there'll be a holy dissatisfaction in each one of us you will create that craving because lord we we in ourselves cannot even generate that cravings oh lord unless you give us those cravings i pray lord father that we will truly be blessed for we will hunger and thirst after you after righteousness and you said lord we will be filled fill us this year oh lord fill us this year use us oh lord we thank you we praise you we give you glory in jesus mighty name amen amen